Let us pray. Gracious God, be with us as we consider your word this day. May your spirit speak to us, give us understanding and soft hearts so that you might say to us what you will. Make us attentive and uh, aware of the fact that your spirit is with us and wants to speak to each one of us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today our passage is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. And uh, you have um, a handout with a, an explanation uh, that's included on page 5. Um, but you have um, an outline that will guide us through um, our discussion today. We're done with the Psalms for now. And in the season of Advent, I thought it would be appropriate for us to look at the book of the prophet Isaiah, because some of the most famous passages that pertain to the birth and coming of Jesus are found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive. The testimony about the nature of the Emmanuel child, he will be the prince of peace, uh, mighty God, uh, and so on. But today I wanted to move towards the end of the book and look at a passage that is very well known. It's known to most of us by the fact that John the Baptist quotes and alludes to verse 4. John the Baptist is described as a voice calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, make a straight highway in the desert for our God. And there John takes on the mantle of Isaiah, as it were, declaring that God is on the move and is coming. So this passage is glorious, it's known in our hymnody, and I want to suggest that uh, we take a closer look at it today, and I hope that by the end, our understanding will be greater, and that our knowledge and love of God will be greater. Let me begin by a thematic background uh, that will help us in our understanding of the passage. In a way, what we read in Isaiah chapter 40 is thematic of a number of things that happen over and over again in the Bible. And they can be summarized in two ways. And I trust that you are um, able to look at my cover page where you can see it, and that will help you follow along. The Bible contains numerous examples of two themes, one always following from the other. In a minute, I'm going to ask if you can think of any such examples, so get ready. The first is judgment for sin that leads to departure. Judgment for sin that leads to departure. Let any of those instances come to your mind, and I'll ask you in a minute. And then the second theme, after judgment for sin that leads to departure, comes payment for sin that leads to homecoming. Payment for sin that leads to homecoming. Can you think of any examples of this in the Bible? Uh, anyone? And I'm thinking mostly of the Old Testament. And uh, wrong answers aren't recorded. Um, well, they they might be this week. I don't know. Um, but um, go ahead and, and, and be bold. Can anybody think of a, a case where somebody sinned and was made to depart? Anthony. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. Right. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. That was that led to that led to banishment. Others, uh, Christine. Yeah, Adam and Eve. Right? They sinned, and when they sinned, 
um, they had to depart from the garden. But there was a dimension of redemption that came there um, in that in that God um, God allowed for um, um, clothes uh, to be made and uh, did make provision. And the same for Cain when he killed um, Abel. A mark was put on him so that he would be protected. Well, good. The best example of this is actually part of our topic for today. The whole book of Isaiah consists of these two themes. Chapters 1 to 39, our friend Isaiah, who lived in the late 8th century BC, that's going to be important in a minute, from 740 to 700 BC, just in general. In chapter 6, he got his call from God, and the call that he got from God is very much like the call that um, he's receiving today to go and pronounce a message to the people. Only in that case, when Isaiah presented himself before God, you remember the uh, seraphim and the angels got together and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And Isaiah said, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I'm an unclean, sinful person. But God made provision for his sin, and then he was commissioned. And his commission was to do one of these first theme things, to preach God's judgment for sin and exile. And so after Isaiah gets the, no the news in chapter 6, he realizes my whole life is going to be spent telling people uh, that they are going to be judged. And God has already made up his mind that he's going to judge them. And so um, there's ice on the people, as it were, and they've already had their hearts hardened. And so Isaiah got very used to being unpopular, and he got very used to saying, guys, the Assyrians are coming, the Babylonians are coming, and you are in big trouble and are going to get sent away for your sin. There were times in chapter 6 to 39 when Isaiah was given a clue that one day he would preach another message, and that's the subject of Isaiah chapter 40, to preach God's payment for sin and a homecoming. So in chapter 35, which is another kind of a favorite Advent passage, and I want to refer it, uh, you to it. It's on, uh, it's on page 10. It's Isaiah chapter 35. And here Isaiah, in the late 8th century, looks forward to a time when uh, the people will be brought back from uh, exile. And he says most famously in verse 10, because there's a song about it that we sing, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So that's the background uh, to this passage. Isaiah chapter 1 to 39 Isaiah predominantly preaches God's judgment for sin and exile. And then in chapters 40 to 66, Isaiah has a new message. But before we look at the passage and do kind of an overview of it, I want to cue you to a problem that's going to be addressed in the passage, I believe. And that is that Isaiah, he lived in the 8th century. But now in chapter 40, it's as though he's living in the 6th century. It's as though he's living in the time that he predicted. You see, Isaiah was given a, a vision in chapter 35 that the Babylonians would come and they would take away the people, but there would be a day when God would bring the people back from Babylon home and that they would be restored and that God would make provision for their sins. 
In chapter 35, Isaiah saw it as something in the future. But here in chapter 40, it is as though it has already taken place. And so this causes a certain amount of anxiety within the book of Isaiah itself. And uh, the anxiety is, how can somebody who lived in the 8th century be now living um, in the 6th century, as it were, and seeing things so vividly that it's as though he was there? And that's why, and here the, here's where the penny drops, Isaiah objects and says, I'm a human being. I, I come and I go, I die. So what am I doing here? And uh, he's, he's exploring and trying to figure out how it can be that a mere mortal can prophesy God's word. And so the question that comes before the reader as we read Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll do it again in a second, is um, how can I as a mortal who comes and goes be here still proclaiming the word of the Lord? It's as though maybe Isaiah is dead already, or maybe somebody has come to take Isaiah's place because Isaiah is never named in chapters 40 to 66. So here, my friends, we contemplate the mystery and the reality of our own mortality. You have come to dust, and to dust you will return. You and I are here for but a moment, and we pass away. That's a sobering reality. Isaiah reminds us of that for all people. He reminds us of that in his own case. So it's time to get right with God, because our time is limited. And it's also time to remember, and here I'm kind of anticipating one of the applications at the end of my sermon, it's time to remember as well that we only see part of God's picture. There are lots of promises that we've been given, that Jesus is going to come again, that you and I might not live to see again. But other people will come, and somebody else will come along, and they will live in a time when Jesus comes again. So here it is, my friends, the basic message It's on page two, verse eight. The grass dies, the flower fades, you, me, the prophet Isaiah, and whatever prophet it is that is speaking now in Isaiah's name, but the word of our God stands forever. The prophetic voice, the, the speaking of the Holy Spirit goes from age to age it was the Holy Spirit in the beginning of creation that spoke, and it's the Holy Spirit who will be there to the end. And prophets and others of us who have the Spirit within us have the Spirit within us just for a time, and then we pass on. So with that as background, I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. And I have given done something a little bit different this week in giving you a summary of that passage, a summary of the passage, and it's on page 5. So if you can kind of hold pages one and two to open together in page five, you'll see that the passage has five parts. In verses one and two, we hear the words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort, comfort is a command. And the prophet is reminding us that God is declaring his will that comfort should come to his people. And as stated twice, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak with tender encouragement to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her time of hard service is over, that her iniquity has been pardoned. In other words, her sins have been forgiven. 
and that she has received from the hand of Yahweh double for her sins. So here the voice of the Lord is speaking to the exiles in Israel, saying, you know what? Your time of punishment is over, and God is going to bring you home. And when he brings you home, it's going to be an occasion of comfort. So here it's likely that we have the same scene as in chapter 6, where uh, there's a council chamber of angelic beings, and one of these beings is declaring this good news. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. A new time has come, O Isaiah, when you no longer have bad news to proclaim, but you can now introduce the second theme, that when sins are paid for, there's a homecoming, and that homecoming is a blissful one. So that's what we see in verses 1 and 2. And then the plan for God's homecoming is articulated in verses 3 and 5. And there another voice, presumably an angelic voice, is telling us how God is going to help his people get from captivity in exile uh, back to the homeland. And God is declaring through this voice that he is going to blaze a straight trail right through the desert. And he's going to make a plan that is straightforward and smooth for his people to make their way home. You see, normally the way that you made it from Babylon back to Jerusalem was along what's called the Fertile Crescent. The desert through which Isaiah is saying that God is going to blaze a path is one that is barren and is one that is dry and one that is unhabitable. And yet God is going to build a highway. And it says, every valley will be lifted up and every mountain shall be lowered. The crooked will be made straight and the bumpy places leveled. And the glory of God will be revealed. My friends, this is a poetic way of describing the fact that God is committed to bringing people like you and me who are alienated, who are far away from God, who are removed from God by virtue of our sin. And he wants you to come home. He wants to bring you back to himself. He wants to take you under his wings, as it were. And his plan is straightforward and indomitable. He's going to make a path. He's going to blaze a trail. He's going to do it in a way that's miraculous. And so he did. Because in the 6th century, he allowed another king named Cyrus to conquer the Babylonian people. And this Cyrus was a, a, a beneficent Pleasant Persian, as many Persians still are today. I've yet to meet an Iranian that I didn't like. And they love to tell you about the story of Cyrus because he was such a nice guy. Uh, generally speaking, he was kind of, he had his own motives for letting people come home. But Cyrus said, you can go home, go home, uh, return to your land, build your temple, uh, build your palaces. And so Siah actually was a prototype of the Messiah. And in Isaiah, he's spoken as though he were a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus, who wants to bring us home to himself, who wants to take us out of our places of alienation and to give us a place that is comfortable and a place that is safe, a place in the presence of God. So in verses 3 to 5, we have a decisive announcement of the plan through which comfort will come, as well as the means of its execution, the building of a highway, and its desired effect that when men and women and children throughout the ages come to that homecoming where they experience the love of God, that God's glory is revealed. You know, when somebody becomes a Christian, they generally don't talk about themselves. Oh, I'm a new person. I just am so now wonderful. I've just been so regenerated. It's, it's glorious, aren't I? No, they say, 
praise God, he changed my life. He did something enormously different in my life. And I'm a new person, not because I changed, but because God changed me. And so God reveals his glory when people make their homecoming. But as for Isaiah, he's a little slow to catch up. And in verses uh, 6 and 7, part 3, we find an inventory announcement to call out. A voice is saying, call out. Uh, one of those seraphim or whoever is saying to Isaiah and to the rest of us, call out, pronounce this good news. But then he said, verse 6, not I said, because Isaiah is going through kind of an identity crisis that's spawned by his mortality. But he said, what shall I call out? After all, the flesh in entirety is grass, and all its steadfastness is a flower of the field. The grass dies, the wither blows, because just like the candle that we blew out, the first Advent candle, we get blown out by the Spirit of God. People come and go. I've been pronouncing judgment for all of my life, and I can't believe this is really happening. And so he says, the end of verse 7, surely the people are grass. But then the objection is overruled by an unspoken voice in verse 8, and that brings us to verse 4, or sorry, to verse 8, part 4. Isaiah's objection, <laughs> we're too frail. I'm not even sure whether I'm supposed to be here. Um, who am I announcing and all of a sudden present in the 6th century, continuing to proclaim the voice of God? The word comes, hey, buddy, the grass dies, the flower fades, but... The word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. People come and go. Empires come and go. But the word of God stands forever. The motto of the college, this college that we're in, where I taught for over 30 years, is verbum domini manet, which is in Latin for the word of God stands forever. With that assurance, it seems, Isaiah is then able to go to part five, which is verses nine to 11. And here, um, perhaps he or perhaps another, em em another heavenly messenger is telling Isaiah and the people of God, which includes you and me, ultimately, climb up on a mountain and go evangelize, raise your voice powerfully over Jerusalem, you herald of good tidings, or you evangelist. And here is a summons, my friend, to evangelism and to mission. God says, raise it. Don't be afraid. Raise your voice. Don't be afraid. And say to the cities around about you, look, your God. Look, the Lord will come in strength, and his arm rules with him. Look, his reward is with him, and his wages before him. So here we see that Isaiah is a convert, and he is now an evangelist. And he's no longer a prophet of doom, but he's a declarer of God's hope and God's comfort. And he's told to go on a high place and to pronounce God's news. As we were praying up front here just a few minutes ago before the beginning of the service, uh, Father David said, Lord, let our music and our worship be loud enough to stir the hearts of people who are presently making a movie. May they be touched by what we're doing. 
on Friday night, I had dinner here at the college. It was a Christmas dinner. And I met a woman named MJ, who's a student. And when she found out I was the rector of Christ the King, she said, oh, that church. And she kind of lit up. And this is what she said. She said, I met a Muslim friend who was so excited because somebody had uh, drawn his attention to God and somebody had invited him to explore Christianity. And it was one of you who I think is probably associated with Power to Change who was doing a survey. And the survey had something to do with what keeps you from being interested in God and what would it take for you to be interested in God. And I think that this person received some literature and it just the penny dropped for them. They were excited. And now they were speaking to another person who runs into the rector of Christ the King and just kind of says, hey, your people, they're doing this. It's exciting. This person is really turned on. My friends, we have good news to share. And the good news is that God is planning a homecoming for you. He's done it over and over again throughout the history of the Old Testament and throughout the history of the New Testament. And as we come to Christmas, we're going to see him do it all over again, most gloriously in the coming of our Lord Jesus. My friends, when God comes, we see two things, and we see them unpacked in verses 10 and 11. We see him coming in strength, verse 10. The Lord Yahweh will come in strength and his arm rules with him. That's a reminder of his power and his strength and his determination. But then it also gets very tender and touching. And it says, like a shepherd shepherds his flock in his arm, he will gather his lambs and lift them into his bosom, gently leading the sheep with the young. My friends, our God is strong and he judges sin. But he pays for sin and invites people to a homecoming. And in the midst of bringing you and me home to the kingdom of God and home in the presence of God, he has the power to effect change and he's strong. But I love the way it ends. He leads them like a shepherd who's doing three things here. In general, he's caring for his flock with his arm. When somebody's in trouble, he gathers a lamb and he lifts them up into his bosom and he carries them. And then he's always looking out for somebody that needs an extra hand. And in this case, it's the mother sheep who have their little uh, sheep with them. These are uh, little sheep who are sucklings. And at the same time as being strong, he's tending all the sheep. And at the same time, he's lifting the ones that need help into his bosom while gently guiding the mother sheep along the way. This, my friends, is homecoming. This is what Christianity is all about. With that exposition, let me come to some points of application, and some of them I've already mentioned. We have good news to share. This is a good news story. God has pardoned our sins. God is going to make things right. You're going home, and you're going home to a loving, comfortable father. And you're home in the church, which is a manifestation of that love of God. Many of the doubts that we have reflect the fact that we aren't Isaiah. We can't see beyond our lifetime and see all of God's promises. But one of the passages that we're going to be looking at shortly encourages us to stay firm in our faith. That's the way Isaiah 7 ends. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And then Jesus' Advent coming represents yet another phase, another cycle of this same thing. And despite John the Baptist's prediction that God in Jesus 
was going to come in judgment, which will happen in the future, Jesus broke into that moment and said, I want to come this time according to phase two. I want to pay for people's sins. I want to bring them home. And I invite you now to come into my arms and accept my loving care because one day phase one is coming back. So when the Lord Jesus returns at the second coming, both of those things are going to be brought together. For some, it will be a time of judgment for sin. And for others, it will be a time of comfort and homecoming because we've accepted the payment that God made for our sin in the person of the Lord Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. God help us to come home and being home to share the good news of his love right across the cities of Judah to his glory. Amen.